Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. Isn't that a beautiful story? Jason and Natalie were here first service, and some of you may have received uh, your Father's Day thing from their three daughters standing at the door on the way in. I wanted to share that story today for two reasons. Number one, fathers uh, and mothers, you make such a huge difference, whether it's loving your own kids and pursuing your own kids or, or pursuing those who are abandoned and unwanted, and it's just such a beautiful story. But the other reason I wanted to share it today is because this is an unfinished story. This is the Holy Spirit, we believe, speaking to a couple among us to do something they hadn't thought about doing and and bringing confirmation. And and it really leads us to this one question. How do we know the genuine from the fake when God's speaking to us? How do we sort through to know the genuine from the stuff that's fake? Or maybe sometimes it's even just the stuff that we add into the things we feel like God is speaking to us. So, Wendy, uh, uh, when we were first married, she was working inpatient adolescent psych for six years. And one of her colleagues there, before she came to work for the same place she was working at with uh, Wendy, had led these backpacking trips for urban troubled teens. They'd take kids from the pavement of inner city Chicago or any urban setting and they'd take them and stick them out in the woods in the mountains with her for three weeks. And they would teach them all sorts of team skills and work and relationship skills and they'd also teach them survival skills. So one day, she's telling us the story, one day she had about 15 kids with her they're walking down the path and she's teaching them, okay, if you're without food and water, how do you find clean water? And oh, you can eat this kind of ant, you can eat this kind of bug and you can eat this kind of plant, but don't eat that one. She's teaching them all that stuff and she says, and if worse comes to worse, you can always eat deer droppings. I mean, after all, Those of you that have dogs probably know your dogs every now and then go out and eat the deer droppings, right? And you talk to the vet, and the vet says they go out and eat it because there's actually some good stuff in there, right? So, you know, if it's good enough for dogs, it's good enough for us in our survival situation, right? Guys, this is the Father's Day potty talk illustration, so just enjoy all of you guys just for Father's Day, right? So... She has this guy in the group, and she says, I want to volunteer, and this guy volunteers, and he comes up, and they're examining this deposit on the ground. And he grabs one and just plucks it in his mouth and starts chewing, and the whole group just goes, oh, just like some of your stomachs are doing right now, right? In reality, they had pre-planted a prune that looked exactly like the deer droppings, and it was a great laugh, but... but uh, How do we know the good fruit from the deer droppings? How do we know the difference between a golden egg and a rotten egg? Because there are lots of rotten eggs, aren't there, that we've run into in our pursuit of the Holy Spirit or in our experience of that with other people. I've said in the past that I've had lots of experiences. I'm going to share share just a few of the rotten eggs that I experienced in the past, some of the tamer ones. I remember as a teenager being called in... um, to be a part of a prayer group. There was going to be some prayer ministry to a guy who was wanting some freedom from some stuff. And so I was just on the side praying while other people were ministering and doing stuff. And I'm sitting here observing this thing for several hours. It's kind of a long process, kind of a challenge for a a team to keep attention that long and be a part of that. Um, But as the, the, the night went on, I kept observing, this guy just seems really open, really courageous, really honest, 
really receptive to anything God wants to do. But I also noticed the people who were leading the ministry that night, a couple of them felt like God had given them this, this strong impression that he had this issue that he, until he admitted this issue, he wasn't going to find freedom. And I, as the evening went on and on, they kept ramping up in intensity and almost got to the point, well, really got to the point where they were being belligerent with him and just really strong and almost harsh. And, and regardless, regardless of whether they heard from God and the issue was right or wrong, it doesn't, it isn't really the issue right now. What I observed that night was this, this ministry time that ended up being anything but healthy. It was anything but loving, and it just didn't seem like something the Holy Spirit would be a part of and God would want to be a part of. I remember another time, uh, Wendy and I had we were uh, engaged, and uh, she went home and uh, went to uh, a church, and there was this gal there who had a reputation for hearing from God for things for other people, and and she felt like she heard something from God for Wendy, and what she heard was uh, that I would be the spiritual death of her if we got married, and that she should run for the hills. And she almost broke up, to, broke up with me, but now 27 years later, she's still alive. Go figure. You know? I mean, but, but stuff like that sometimes puts confusion in the, shake, in, in the midst of, of what we're going through, Right? Doesn't it? it? It really challenged. For a while, she was debating, I, I needed to break up with this guy, right? Another time, I've talked about the fact that I was a part of a church where some uh, things were happening, where there were physical manifestations happening, and people would every now and then, uh, when they were being prayed for or being encountered the Holy Spirit, they would fall down for whatever reason, losing, I don't know, whatever reason. And I wouldn't, you know, I'm always one of those guys who's a little suspicious, because I've seen genuine stuff and I've seen lots of fake stuff. And, and so I and several other people who were on staff at that church, we spent weeks interviewing people. And not just once, if it happened now, but we'd, we'd follow them up for weeks, interviewing and inspecting really closely to find out, is this just really weird or is something genuine and real happening? And yeah, there was some, there was a little bit of weird stuff, but there was a lot of genuine stuff happening as well. But in that same environment. So, you know, we're praying for people after services every Sunday and I usually would be praying for people and I'd get done for praying and I'd just decide I want to, I want to spend some time in prayer on my own. So I'd usually just kind of turn around and turn back to the crowd and ignore myself, stand down front and I just, I just pray. And every now and then the rest of the people who were praying a lot, a lot of them would gather around me and they'd pray for me. And I never experienced any of that stuff really. I never fell down. I never, never shook, never did all that kind of stuff. And, and so the prayer people would come around me and all of a sudden, because I wasn't experiencing things the way they were or the way they saw other people were, they thought I was resistant. So then all of a sudden the prayer started becoming, uh, Ross, help Ross with his resistance. Help him just be open. And when that still didn't work, it became, Lord, cast the demons out of him because he's obviously demon. I mean, I'm not joking. It was that abusive. It was exactly like that going on. And I have to admit, sorry, this is gonna, this is gonna sound really bad maybe to some of you, but there was one day where I was just sitting here praying and I, and God was actually meeting me and it was really a meaningful moment for me. And then all these people gathered around me and started praying for, you know, resistance and the demons to be cast out. So, sorry, I admit it. I trust fell. I just fell down, not because the Holy Spirit wanted me to fall down, because I wanted them to go away, 
so I could enjoy what I felt like God was doing. And, and it was actually really kind of amazing because the minute I fell down, they went, oh, he's received the Holy Spirit. Now we can pray positively. And some of those same people who were praying abusively, interestingly enough, got things from God that were exactly in line with what God was doing in me now that they were praying and expecting a positive result. And that's one of the lessons I want us to walk away with from today. In the midst of so many rotten eggs, there are golden eggs. There are, there's genuine work of the Holy Spirit going on even when there is corruption, even when there's manipulation, even when there's abusive stuff going on. And doesn't that make sense? I mean, intuitively, I guess maybe it doesn't make sense to all of us, but if we really look at it, it makes sense. Because we are all mixed bags of people. We all have our emotional baggage that gets in the way, our ways of thinking about things, our cultural backgrounds of how to express things in faith. We've all got our control things where we want to have God in our box. And so the reality is, if God's going to speak through all of us, we've all got baggage. And he's got to somehow give us gifts and speak to us and use us to minister to others through that baggage. We've all got droppings and we've all got prunes that come through our lives when the Holy Spirit's at work. And unless we settle that issue, we won't risk because we'll get so tired of the, of the droppings that we won't risk to find the prunes. We'll get so tired of the rotten eggs that we won't continue to pursue the Holy Spirit to get to the golden eggs and really understand that. And that's really what I want for all of us through this series is to get that settled in our heart because God is so amazingly gracious that in spite of your control issues, in spite of your baggage, in spite of your ideas about him that don't match up to who he really is. He still says that he pours his spirit out in you, not just to change your life, but to use and work through you to minister and speak into other people's lives and lead them in their faith to greater places with God. It's just the amazing, amazing grace of God. So what that leads us to the next question. What are some practical biblical lessons we can learn to experience more of the genuine and less of the rotten? Or maybe more simply, we could ask it in relation to Jason and Natalie's story up front. We could just say, how do we know what we're hearing from the Holy Spirit or what we're sensing or what we're, our impressions or whatever are purely the Holy Spirit and not the Thai food we ate last night or not the emotional baggage that I or someone else is carrying around or not just our thoughts instead of God's thoughts. How do we learn to be more confident in the works of the Holy Spirit through us, especially in ministry to others? So I want to go through today uh, five different testing guidelines. And there's a couple of them we have several sub-points under, so it's my way of getting ten points into five. So let's, let's jump into it. Testing guideline number one seems very obvious. Nothing the Holy Spirit does will contradict Scripture or misrepresent Jesus. And while that seems very self-explanatory, and we've heard that as a, maybe it's almost a cliche because we've heard it so much throughout, throughout our life, I think there's some ways that, are not always so obvious to us that we have to learn to, to, to live this guideline. 
For instance, so there's a lot of times if you've been here a while at the end of our services, there's a, this is a fairly frequent occurrence. We'll have you close your eyes. We'll have you do a classic spiritual discipline of meditation, visualization, which is just all throughout the Bible, all throughout Christian history. It's been classical spiritual habit that people have done. And we'll ask you in those times when you close your eyes, would you allow in your mind's imagination for Jesus to come to you and speak to you about whatever issue we've been talking about that day? Tell For him to tell you what he wants to tell you. The reality is that some of us walk away with a false Jesus experience when we do that. It's not always the true thing because some of us walk away with a sense of condemnation, a sense of overwhelming guilt about something, a sense of unworthiness. And yes, we all know we're unworthy, but when Jesus in truth comes to us, we'll know we're unworthy, but we'll also at the same time know we are so extravagantly loved and we'll be in awe of how he's coming to us. So if you don't walk away with that same extravagant awe, a lot of times that may be a false encounter. It may just be the baggage of your own ideas, your own religious upbringing about who Jesus was. Maybe you learned an angry God or maybe maybe at, uh, at the worst it could be an encounter that is ungodly, even demonic. Because the reality is that all spiritual experience is not necessarily good spiritual experience. And we need to grow in our knowledge of who God is in an accurate fashion and understanding through the Bible, but not just in a head knowledge of who God is in the Bible, but grow in our experience of that God that we read about in the Bible in a very real personal way for ourselves. Testing guideline number two. Others can hear God with you, but not for you. So the obvious uh, application of this is that if somebody comes to you and says, I think I've got an impression as I was praying for you, I think God shared something for you that he wants me to share with you. If somebody comes to you like that and they say something, the obvious thing is it should be confirming to something you already know that God is doing, right? Uh, let's back that up a little bit. We're going to illustrate this biblically a little bit later with one of the other principles, so I'm going to skip the biblical side of that uh, for a moment, but let's talk about it practically. The reality is that sometimes people will hear stuff when they pray for you that you haven't heard yet, that's not confirming yet of something already going on. This has happened many times in my life. People will come to me and they'll say, Ross, I feel like God's giving a word and I'll listen to it, and, and if, if I know the person especially and I feel like there's some credibility to it or, or if I sense something, even though it hasn't been something that I've already felt that God's leading me in in my life, then I'll just write it down. I'll pray, God, uh, bring this up if it needs to come up at the right time so I know it, I'll stick it off on a shelf. But I'll at least pay attention to it, and I'll just stick it off on a shelf. There have actually been many times when God's done that through me. I remember in 1992, one time, there was a guy, and I'll talk a little bit more about him later as well. His name is Bob. And Bob was praying over Wendy and I, and he, it, was a, it was an extraordinary moment of God speaking. It, it, his, his, part of what he spoke to us that day predicted to the month and a whole bunch of other details six years later of our transition from that ministry to another ministry. But I didn't even recognize any of that till three months after I was already in the new job in 1998. It was one of those things where I think sometimes God speaks to us stuff that isn't necessarily something that we have already felt, and we don't even know it sometimes till afterwards. 
And when it came up for me, it was a beautiful time because I was three months into a new job and I was running into all the challenges that, you know, you, new jobs, you always discover the new challenges that you didn't realize were there. The picture painted of what the job is is always a little nicer than it actually is, right? We all know that. So, you know, three months in, I'm starting to get the real picture of some of the challenges I've got to face and I'm a little discouraged and, and I, for whatever reason, had forgotten about that word and I pulled it back off the shelf and looked at it and I went, wow, that is this, this, and this, and it predicted it down to the T. And I needed that kind of confirmation there. So just because it's not already speaking something that you already know doesn't mean it's not from God. It may be for confirmation later. So just write it down, stick it on a shelf. Don't worry about it. We don't try to force anything to happen in stuff like this. Testing guideline three. Spiritual gifts are not given as signs of spiritual maturity. They are gifts. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit giving us spiritual gifts to empower us for ministry beyond what we can normally do on our own. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says this, now concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be uninformed. And then he talks about things like word of knowledge, word of wisdom, uh, prophecy, faith, healing, miracles, and things. We're going to actually deal with many of those next week. We're going to have a panel up here. We're going to talk about and define each one. And then we're going to talk about them biblically. And then we're going to talk about them, how they've operated in, in our lives today as well. So if you don't understand what they are, just come back next week. We'll talk more about that, right? But one of the biggest mistakes we make in regard to these spiritual gifts that God wants to give us, is that we make this assumption that we get them because we're doing good, because we're more mature, because we're more open, we're more growing than other people. And what that does is it puts us back in this performance mindset where we earn things. But I think the Bible's intentional in using this word gifts because gifts are gifts. We don't earn gifts. If we earn gifts, we get paid for them. Gifts are gifts. And spiritual gifts are not a measure. You receiving them from someone else or God giving them to you to give to somebody else are not a measure of spiritual maturity. You don't necessarily get more of them because you're more spiritually mature, right? Now, some of you may disagree with that. Let me give you two examples. One of them is biblical. We talked in the wild goose message a few weeks back about Samuel, or Saul, sorry, and how King Saul had two, two of these encounters with the Holy Spirit, one in chapter 10 of 1 Samuel, one in chapter 19 of 1 Samuel. In both of those examples, we talked back then about how the fact that there was some sort of physical encounter happening at the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's clear because they talk about seeing something go on. They don't describe what it was, but each time in both of those instances, when, it, when the Spirit came on Saul and he prophesied, everybody around said, because I see this, is Saul now also among the prophets? Right? What I didn't tell you then, though, was that in 1 Samuel 10, the first instance, that Spirit, Holy Spirit comes on him and gives him that gift as confirmation of his anointing to be king. But in 1 Samuel 19, the Holy Spirit comes on him and gives him that gift to restrain him from doing evil in pursuing David with an evil intent. See, it has nothing to do with spiritual maturity. 
It has everything to do with God's intent in that moment to give a gift to us or other people to do his good work, whatever that good work he's trying to do. Spiritual maturity does not mean we will receive more gifts. And you can't presume there's a correlation between those two going on. I remember one time in college, so I'm a a dorm chaplain overseeing a a dorm, and all the dorm chaplains around campus would get together along with a couple other people, and we'd lead this worship service each week for the the students. It was a student-led worship service for about a 1,000 students. And at the end of most of those services, we gave an opportunity for people to practice, to learn to hear God, to learn to exercise spiritual gifts. And there was this one guy who would frequently come up and go to the mic and share what he felt like God was sharing for the group or for an individual. And, and, and a lot of times it was amazingly right. But the problem was this guy was a stalker. And I'm not joking. It got to the point where he didn't, as far as we know, he didn't do any harm. He just, he just made all the women on campus get the bejeebies. And ended up being banned from the girls' dorm and all sorts of other boundaries of behavior for him to change his behavior in order to prevent getting kicked out of school. And one of them was he could no longer uh, minister or speak publicly at these events, right? So the very first night after all that discipline has come down, we've got three people who screen people before they go to the mic. And somehow he gets by all of them and gets the mic. And he shares, I feel like God is saying this. And it was one of the most profound, direct, precise words and one of the most profound moments of ministry I've ever observed in my life in a large setting. And what is it with that? Isn't that weird? Isn't that even confusing to a certain extent? But God's grace is amazing. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12:11 the Holy Spirit distributes his gifts to those to us as he wills. His gifts are gifts. They're not earned. And yes, spiritual maturity should result. We should all want that because we trust people more to receive things from people who are more mature, right? If we can observe that, we trust that more. We can, we can trust that the more, the more we grow, the more we become mature. Then when we hear God, hopefully, hopefully when we communicate that to other people, it's got less of us and more of Him in it. It's a little more pure, right? But when we presume the correlation between oh, God gave me a word of prophecy or a word of something for somebody, and that means I'm more mature than somebody. That's when pride sets in, and that's when abuse begins to happen. That's when whole movements of churches start putting on their marquees, we're the full gospel churches. We have the power, and you don't. And it becomes prideful. Or that's when the abuses start happening, where people come and pray for people like me who aren't receiving or experiencing exactly the way they think we should and so they start praying against resistance and casting out demons that aren't there and being abusive it's when we make those presumptions that we earn these things that that type of stuff happens and that's not true it leads to pride and here's the kicker if we equate if you equate the receiving of a spiritual gift with your maturity then you will also equate you not receiving a spiritual gift at a moment with the fact that you weren't worthy enough or good enough in that moment. And then we start getting into all sorts of guilt trips and head trips that are nothing like what God wants us to be involved in and experience. So let's move on. Testing guideline four. 
Testing means testing. Man, I'm really good at the obvious today. Gifts mean gifts, and testing means testing, right? 1 Corinthians 14.29, it says, Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others test or weigh what is said. Now, one of my great joys... In fact, I got to hear two people between service. I guess that's the benefit of telling you what one of my great joys is. Two people came and told me what they told me in relation to this. One of my great joys is hearing people come to me and say, I think I heard God, especially when they come for for like the first time. They say, I think I heard God. And you see the excitement in their lives, in their eyes. and, And we should be excited, right? I mean, the God of the universe communicating with me in a way that I understand it. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that affirming to, to know that you are part of something so much bigger and that, that he loves you so much that he would actually let you know who he is and how he wants to communicate to you? There's this natural excitement that comes from that. So when someone comes to you and has a word for you from God and it connects with you and you go, man, God, how did you let this person know this part about me? I, I never told him that you love me so much, you spoke to me through them. When you receive that, you should, you get excited, right? There's almost this, there's almost this enamored awe, and it's a rightful thing. I mean, it's just an amazingly wonderful thing. But when we feel that awe, when we get that enamored, a lot of times we don't test. We just take it hook, line, and sinker because we're caught in the moment of it. And then there's other times, frankly, where somebody comes and shares something and, you know, it's like it just doesn't hit. It's just kind of ho-hum. And maybe it's where you're at emotionally that day. Maybe you're just, maybe you're just grumpy like sometimes I'm just grumpy and I just wish I could figure out why and get rid of it, you know. But maybe you're just grumpy that day. Or maybe it's because they come to you and, and it just it doesn't immediately connect to your circumstances. You, you don't see how it fits. Or maybe it's because they say it weird in some culturally bound way like the King James language, thus saith the Lord, and, and that just, that's, who talks like that, you know. Or maybe you're just uncomfortable. I don't know. But sometimes when it comes to you and somebody says something, it just doesn't connect. We just dismiss it and we don't test it either. We have this tendency in life to either get enamored when we really feel like God's in it. We sense his power and we don't test it. And sometimes when it doesn't, we still, we don't test it either. We just dismiss it. So what do we test for? Well, we test for mixed motive. So there's this gal and Wendy in my life who's been really influential. She's just a fantastic lady. She's one of the best examples I know of a person who just avidly pursues God and is willing to take whatever risk, even if she ends up being wrong, to pursue God. And we were in ministry with her for many years in, in, in the same place. And she would come up and, and feel like God had spoken to her for Wendy and I. And it was amazing because a lot of those times she'd come and say stuff that we were already sensing God speaking about who we were, about our calling, about how God was developing, where he was taking us next. And it would just be so amazingly confirming. But she also had this side of her where she grew up always fearful of being abandoned or betrayed or people leaving her and never staying near. And so all these words would always come, God's going to do this through you, and, he, and, and I can't wait because you're going to be with us for a really, really, really long time. You're always going to be here. There was mixed stuff in there. Some of it was just dynamite right on, and some of it was her emotional baggage. And we just got to look and test that. Uh, sometimes it's uh, not, not a fear of abandonment, but uh, 
we, we receive words and, or, or we give words and we're tainted by fear of conflict in relationships. So, uh, again, Bob, 1992, Bob is sitting with us in a group of leaders at our church and, and just praying for everybody, going around praying for everybody. And God's sharing words with him for each one. And, and he, he, he shows us so much of the path. And he comes to us and he starts talking about, okay, God's going to give you success in this area. There was already some, and then he's going to give you more. And that all happens. It all, it all happened in real life. But then he said, there's going to come this time where the heads, the heads turn away from this ministry. And it's going to be a really difficult time. And it's not going to be what God wants. And so his prayer over us was that the heads would turn back. And then he finishes it by saying, but it won't be anybody in this room. Well, the people in that room were some of Bob's closest friends and strongest supporters. And the reality was I even knew in the moment. I knew in the moment, even though the relationships were just great, fantastic, couldn't be better in that room, I had this sense in, the, in that moment that it would be people in the room, and it was, that turned away from that ministry and caused it to go through a difficult time. All of it came to pass, as he said, but Bob had a hard time sticking with what God had said to him because of concern of how it would affect the relationships because sometimes even in saying something good there's a confrontation in it for people so sometimes we need to test as well for that and i lost where i was in my notes give me just a second we uh sometimes we get these words from others that are uh, that are tests for us as to what god is wanting to do so this is going to be where i'm going to use a biblical illustration this illustrates uh, our point too others can hear god with us but not for us but sometimes we're just tested. And I don't know in this passage, it's this obscure passage in 1 Kings 13. And I don't know on the conclusion whether, whether this guy that we're going to talk about really, really fully heard from God and God did that or whether he was just talking on his own. It doesn't really matter. But here's the story. We see in 1, Corinthians, 1, uh, sorry, 1 Kings 13, we see this prophet from Judah. He's not even named. God comes and speaks to him and says, I want you to go to Israel and I want you to give a word to the king of Israel. His name was Jeroboam. And in verse 9, it says this, I want you to, uh, you, shall del- you shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way that you came. In other words, God's saying to this prophet, I want you to go and deliver this word to the king of Israel, but I want you to make it a one-day trip. I want you to go down there by one way. I don't want you to eat or drink and I want you to come home a different way. Now, the word that he had to give him was kind of confrontive, so it was probably really comforting for him to know that he wasn't come back the same way because he could try to hide, right? So anyway, he goes and delivers the word, and he's on his way home. And then there's another prophet in Israel who hears that he's nearby and goes, I'd really like to have dinner with this guy. So he jumps on his donkey, goes out, asks him to dinner, and the guy says, no, God told me not to do this. And the prophet from Israel responds to him and says, I too am a prophet. And God said, I was to bring you back to my place to eat and drink. Now, I don't know whether that word was really a true word from the prophet of Israel, whether God was prompting to say that. I have a feeling it was just what he really wanted. And the point is, he goes back and he eats with them. And in the middle of their dinner, the Holy Spirit comes on this prophet of Israel who invited him to his home to tell this guy, you disobeyed me and therefore there's going to be consequences. So if you hear something that contradicts something you feel like God wants to say in your life, it doesn't matter who it comes from. You stick with what you know, not with what others said. Finally, uh, another way we test is we test the, the intent of the word. There's this uh, interesting story in Acts 21. 
Paul is on his way back from a missionary trip to Jerusalem, and he stops by in Caesarea. And while he's in Caesarea, the prophet Agabus, who's actually mentioned earlier in Acts as well, comes to him and acts out this prophecy to Paul in front of all the leaders of the church. He basically comes and he ties up his hands and he ties up his feet and says, if you go to Jerusalem, the Jews will tie you up like this and hand you over to the power of the Gentiles. So what do you do with that word? How is Paul supposed to respond? The leaders of the church at Caesarea all looked at him and said, God's warning you. You are the most important leader in the Christian movement among the Gentiles. You should not go. You should stay here. God's warning you. You're too valuable. He wants you to stay free of all this stuff so you can freely preach the gospel. You shouldn't go. But Paul knew that God was leading him there, and he knew the word given to him wasn't a warning of direction, but it was a warning of preparation. So when God speaks to you, one of the testing questions we need to ask is, is what he's speaking to me about direction for my life that I'm supposed to respond to? Or is it preparation of your heart and the heart of other people for what you're about to go through? Testing guideline five. We'll move on to that. Fruit. The Bible says we'll know people and know the works of the Spirit by the fruit. In fact, this is one of the most powerful metaphors in all of the New Testament. We see it used by Jesus multiple times. Paul uses this metaphor in, in six of his writings. The Hebrew writer of Hebrews uses it. The James uses it. It's one of the most powerful metaphors because it's saying if you experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all the fruit of the Spirit as a result of this, then it really is the Spirit. But if you experience confusion or division or lack of unity or, or bitterness or difficult things, then this is not the Holy Spirit at work. But this powerful metaphor, I think, is often misapplied by us. Let's break it down practically by using two overly obvious questions. Hey, I'm into overly obvious today. Gifts are gifts. Testing is testing. Now we're going to ask a couple more obvious things. How does fruit grow? How do we realize the benefits of fruit? Well, fruit grows by being attached to the vine and receiving from the vine. That's what Jesus teaches us in John 15 when he uses the metaphor of the fruit, right? If we abide in the vine, we will produce much fruit. And it's his pleasure for us to produce much fruit. We know the benefits of, the, of fruit ultimately not by looking at it, but by those who consume it, right? You're walking through the woods. There's two types of blueberries. One of them is poisonous and tastes bad and the other one is really good if you taste the bad one and you consume it you'll know right because you get an upset stomach we ultimately know the fruit by the people who receive it now that's obvious right but let's extend that because i've told you before about the stories of how god's work comes through a mix in all of us there's a little bit of taintedness or corruption and god still does beautiful real things in the midst of that in those same circumstances where, I was, where I've been in churches, many people have left the churches over arguments or disagreements surrounding the work of the Holy Spirit. The first lesson is many times of the fruit is many times we judge the fruit from a distance or we judge it by our own feelings or our own comfort level as observers. You know, I, I didn't shake, I didn't fall, 
It would have been easy for me to dismiss it, but I interviewed people repeatedly over weeks to find out what's God doing in your life. It doesn't matter how uncomfortable, and it made me feel uncomfortable. Every time I'd walk into church and see that, I'm going, this feels weird, right? I mean, this is just normal to think that way. But you inspect closely. Inspection of the fruit has nothing to do with how you feel or what you think something about of something when you haven't received it or inspected it closely and personally. You see, it's so easy for us to make judgments. It's so easy to make judgments because of our discomfort as non-receivers. Our peace has little to do with fruit. Only the lives of those receiving it is really, it's really the only place we can test whether this is genuine or not, regardless of how it looks. And there's a second lesson which kind of extends this. You can't determine the fruit of the Spirit based on the reaction of the church or the crowd as a whole. In those settings that I was in where stuff was going on, a lot of people were going, this can't be God because it's creating so much conflict and so much disunity in the church. How can this be God? There's not peace. There's not love. Therefore, it's not God in our crowd. Makes sense, right? Then why was there so much conflict surrounding Jesus' ministry? Everywhere Jesus went, there was conflict. At the same time that he was preaching peace and unity and love. Jesus realized that truth only brings peace when it's received. And when it's not received, truth tends to bring conflict. A simple example. I can bring up somebody, and we've had people up here recently who will talk about uh, how, how operating their finances in the way they budget, in the way they spend, in the way they manage it, in the way they give has brought huge blessing to their life. But I could also easily bring somebody up who hates it when a preacher talks about finances and who's not doing half of that stuff who's in debt up to their ears and doesn't want to get in, get things in order. And they will get angry at me saying, this is truth, right? The same is true about moral boundaries. We can talk about any kind of moral boundary. The people who understand and live by the moral boundaries know the blessing that that brings. The people who don't just want the freedom and they argue when you bring up those issues, right? And the same is true of the works of the Spirit. The person who receives a prophetic word or a word of knowledge or another gift from God that really impacts their life knows the peace and the strength that it brings. And it may look weird, but and this person over here judges and go, I don't want to look weird. And yet it's bringing tremendous peace and power in their life. This is the truth we got to get at. And it's going to, it's not, we can't say because the crowd reacts that that's the fruit of the Spirit. Again, it's the person receiving is where you inspect the fruit. You don't inspect the fruit on the people who aren't receiving and angry with it. Dusty, go ahead and come. Here's what I want. I want us as people at Quest to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves to use a great phrase from the Bible, discerning and testing the work of the Holy Spirit, settling in our hearts that no matter how good or how mature we get or don't get, that God still wants to pour out gifts to us. And it has nothing to do with our maturity. It has everything to do with what He wants. And that when He pours stuff out on us, we're all mixed bags. 
And when we give something to somebody else, if God gives us an impression, it's going to come through our filter and it's probably going to be mixed. But what's our choice? To abandon the work and the power of the Holy Spirit and just become religious? Or to risk hearing God and to risk sharing and to be a people that both when we give that word, we know it needs to be tested and we're okay with the fact that it may be mixed. And when we receive a word from somebody else, we know that it's likely mixed and we're going to become good at testing. Because here's the reality. If we don't take risks, we won't grow. And unless we learn to test things well, we'll get the mixed bag that comes with spiritual gifts and the work of the Holy Spirit, and we'll pretty soon get so tired of the deer droppings that we'll give up on the prunes, and we'll just stand back, and our lives will become stagnant. Our lives will become religious. Our lives will become hollow. And we'll miss the opportunities that God wants to do in our lives to empower us to bring real change to people. Because isn't it a great idea? Doesn't it make you excited to think that God could share something with you for your colleague? Maybe not even have to say it in religious terms, preferably not say it in religious terms. That you, that, that there's no way you'd know without God telling you. And can you imagine how loved that colleague is going to feel? when they know that God would speak something that you could never know about them to you, and they go, God knows. God knows me. That's what changes lives. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what He wants to give to each and every one of us. And as we, as we just sing this last song, I just want you to ponder that and give praise to God and ponder that He wants to give gifts to you and give you gifts to give to other people. And we grow in confidence in that as we risk and we learn to test well. Let's sing. Can your expectation go up? I hope it can. Because so many of us think God's not going to give us a gift like that. We're just ordinary Joe. we got too much crud going on in our life. The fact of the matter is it doesn't matter. He pours out a spirit on you when you choose to follow Him. It doesn't matter how mature, immature, how good, how bad you think you are. He could give you a gift at any time. Let's expect Him to do that. Let's expect Him to give us impressions and just learn to take risks. Because we can change not only our lives, but we can change our community. We can make tremendous impact if we learn to be led by the Spirit of God. So here's an application. If you came today with a need, doesn't matter. Maybe you're searching for a job. Maybe you've got problems at your job. Maybe you've got sickness. Maybe there's just something else going on in your life. Before you leave, would you just turn to someone? Or if you don't have somebody you feel comfortable turning to, join one of the elders or prayer people here or in the back and just say, would you pray for me? And if you turn to your next door neighbor, I want you to just pause and listen and pray and go, God, if you want to give a gift, if you want to give me an impression, give it. And then take the risk. If you feel like God puts a thought in your mind or a picture in your mind, say, does this make any sense? And share it. Let's just see if God shows up. No pressure. We don't control these things. We can't manufacture a gift of the Spirit. 
They come from God. If He wants to give it because He wills, He will. If He doesn't, don't worry about it. Just pray over Him, bless Him with whatever comes to mind. But let's give God a chance, okay? God bless. Let's take risks this week. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at gotoquest.org.